Money Talk is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation. Welcome to Money Talk, the longest-running weekly personal finance radio show in Wisconsin. Annex Wealth Management is a proud member of the Barron's Top Advisor List and the Financial Times Top 300 List. Know the difference. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Spano and Mark Oswald. Good morning, everybody, and happy Fourth of July weekend. I'm Mark Oswald with a special Money Talk show today. We're revisiting some of our most popular segments so far this year and featuring many members of our talented team at Annex Wealth Management. First up, a chat with Ron Johnson from our planning department. He and Danny sat down to talk about a frequently asked question from our clients Should I pay off my mortgage? The ballpark figure I've seen is about 64% of Americans own a home. So owning a home typically means having a mortgage, and a mortgage is typically the largest debt a consumer will have. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. Yeah, that's a big, big loan that you're getting. What do you think when you see different people say that, yeah, you got to pay it off? Yeah, you know, when you think about it, psychologically, it's, it's a powerful thing to go take your mortgage in the backyard and have the burning party and say, I did it. And that's pretty cool. But I think there's some more important things that you should address first. Good. Let's go over those. Yeah. So the most important thing is retirement. The tax code gives us a lot of tax shelters that we can use that can save you a lot of money in the long run when you save for retirement. The first and most important is your 401k, right? I think that you should prioritize contributing to your 401k rather than taking excess cash flow and put it to your mortgage. Here's why. First of all, when you put in your 401k, you defer taxes now and you pay them later. The goal being later in retirement, you have a lower tax bracket. Sometimes you can save as much as 10% on your taxes by doing that. Also, interest rates are at lows. A lot of this advice is old advice from the 80s and the 70s. When you pay 12, 14, 15% a year on your mortgage, right? When you're paying that kind of interest, absolutely, you should make a priority to get it paid off. Is the house to be considered an investment? You know, that's a great question. I don't see it that way, to be honest with you. I see a house as really an efficient expense, right? No matter what you do, where you go, you're going to have an expense to put a roof over your head. Now, I think a house is a very efficient way to do that because at some point, you're going to pay off that debt and just have your property taxes. Whereas when you rent, your rent's going to go up every year, right? Even though it might be slightly less than a mortgage payment now. So I, I look at it as an expense. I think that's something you'll always have, uh, but you, al- you always need to have a roof over your head. Ron Johnson is a senior financial planner and CFP at Annex Wealth Management. And he says, first things first, right? Yep. Get that 401k taken care of. And what if you can do both at once? You know, there's that school of thought where people are like, you know, the Dave Ramsey thing, eat beans and rice and kind of you right. know, live like a pauper and, and pay that extra money. What if you make one or two extra mortgage payments a year? That, that's one of the things that people do. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's great advice. That's one of the things I do actually personally is just add a little extra to the payment because we have a little. We're fortunate; we have a little extra cash flow each month that we can do that, right? And making sure that it goes to the principal. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I will tell you though that I think more important than if you have some excess cash flow, more important to put it against some mortgage would first make sure you have that emergency savings account in place. And I'll tell you why: if you were to lose your job, Danny, your mortgage payment, even if you've been paying ahead on it. 
is still there and still required to be paid every month. So you need that emergency savings account in place so if you lose your job, you can make that mortgage payment for the next three to six months. So you got to have that in place first. And then if you have excess cash flow, start putting it against the principal. And I think that's sound advice, but do it in that order. You know, traditionally they start with a 30 year, then they maybe move to a 15 year. Uh, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, if you move to a 15-year, typically you're doing that because you're reducing your interest rate in exchange for a larger payment. But right now, we're in a rising rate environment. So you may refinance your 30-year mortgage into a 15-year that's got the same rate or maybe even slightly higher than what you had before. So it really doesn't make sense. Most mortgage payments do not have a prepayment penalty, Danny. So what you can do is just simply pay ahead on it, and you can accomplish the same thing as a 15-year mortgage by keeping your mortgage the same. Is there a rule of thumb that says that people should have a house paid off or not have a mortgage in retirement? Well, that's ideal. But if you have to carry a mortgage into retirement, it's not the worst thing in the world. The last thing we want to see people do is decide, okay, now I'm retired. I can't have this debt anymore. And guess what? They go to their 401k or their IRA. Mm. They make a huge withdrawal and they pay it off. Well, the debt's gone, but you just created a nice little tax bomb for yourself. And we would never advise our clients ever to do that, nope. but yet people do it. Yeah, yeah. I, I've seen it happen. And we've seen clients come in here and say, I, I'm, I'm ready to retire. I want to pay off my mortgage. And we explain to them why that's probably not the best idea. Now, you certainly can continue to pay ahead on it. And we manage that with uh, use some tax planning. But, uh, yeah, it usually doesn't make sense unless you've got a, a, a big tax-free pile that you can use. It was Ron Johnson, part of the great team at Annex Wealth Management. Yes, it's a holiday weekend, but you can still make a move today to get that uh, retirement plan going, and you can do it at AnnexWealth.com. Just click that Get Started button. It's a very quick process. We'll ask you some contact information, kind of a general investment range, where you heard about Annex Wealth Management. In this case, it's WTMJ. But again, you can go to AnnexWealth.com. Just click that Get Started button. This is Money Talk, Saturday, July 6th. It is 1013 at WTMJ. Custom-tailored investment and retirement planning from a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference. This is Money Talk on WTMJ. Thanks again for joining us on this holiday weekend. Today's Money Talk is a collection of our top segments so far in 2019. Our Ask Annex segment is always really popular, and you can reach out to us via our website, and we can get your questions on the air during one of our shows. Here's one from January. Bill asks, what's wrong with stock buybacks? Boy, that's been in the news a lot. What's wrong with stock buybacks? Well, you know, that's really an interesting qu question because it appears that it has turned into a political debate. Uh, I guess we can talk about the economics first and then follow with the second, but let's just explain what buybacks first. Well, buybacks essentially are, are, are run by the individual company where they, just, they decide that they want to just buy back and reduce the outstanding share count of their equity positions. And, and basically, that's been something that's been a, a bullish force for the stock market really since the financial crisis in 2008 and 2009. And it accelerated this year because one of the key provisions in that tax bill was the ability of companies to repatriate funds that had been sitting in foreign banks. And some amount of that money has gone towards share buybacks. Well, it's interesting that the perception of the question is that it's a bad thing. Because I think when you think about the math, when you think about a company that's got a million shares outstanding at a dollar a share, and they buy half of them back, you got half a million shares out there at $2 a share. So theoretically, I mean, it's the same market capitalization of the company, but you have that opportunity for less shares. Yeah, but well, the issue was that, you know, 
these companies are getting, you know, tax benefits, you know, from a lower tax rate. And is it really helping America, you know, in terms of jobs and and employment prospects for people, for the company to just turn around and buy back shares, which are, you know, can artificially levitate the stock price, rewarding insiders who happen to be at that very company? Right. So you look at, you know, it was an exceptional year for the U.S. economy. Employment had a great year. Hourly earnings did go up, Derek. But I think that was the political debate. And that was the second half of the question, at least that I read it, and that's exactly right. I, you know, who are the beneficiaries of that? The people who own the shares or people who don't own the shares? I guess that's where they, this argument goes. In actuality, put some numbers to it. In the first three quarters of 2018, only a third of the funds that were repatriated actually went to buyback increases. That left over $400 million mark for other uses like capital expenditures, bonuses, M&A, and paying down debt. Right, and that's that's exactly right, Mark. And uh, let's try to get a couple more questions. Sure. This one comes from Carl with bank mergers back in the news. What does this mean for bank stocks in general? Well, recently we had a very large regional bank uh, M&A transaction between BB&T and SunTrust, a case in which both stocks actually rose, which is very unusual when you see an M&A transaction. And I think, you know, what that says is that there are, there's going to be further consolidation. The number of regional banks has diminished greatly over the last 20 years or so. And we've actually liked financial stocks in our own portfolios from a tactical perspective because we feel deregulation has made the financial sector far healthier than it was before the crisis in 2008. Well, I think that's an excellent point because especially for these regional banks or smaller banks, deregulation or treating them differently will be a big deal about how they're efficient and profitable going forward. You know, when this all came out, there was a term systemically important financial institutions. That meant the too big to fail. And there might be a change in that definition, Derek, and that might then benefit the smaller banks. Well, it has. I mean, they've actually raised the limit at which point you're subject to those uh, regulatory restrictions because a lot of smaller banks, they don't have the, you know, the compliance department and the, and all the other rule setters within the, within the bricks and mortar of that institution to actually prepare all these documents. So it's made smaller banks more efficient. I'm sure it actually is an incentive for smaller banks to potentially merge with other smaller banks to, to maintain their ability to meet these requirements should their assets get above that level. I wonder if there's any way that we could reduce our compliance department. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking right at them. Money Talk Annex Wealth Management, WTMJ. Here's one, one from Willem. Good German name. What's your opinion of mid-cap stocks? They've had a bad 12 months. Is there opportunity there? I've always liked mid-cap stocks for, for a couple of reasons. I actually managed a mid-cap fund at, at Strong years ago. But they, they kind of fall between the cracks. You know, most people allocate to large cap. Most people allocate to small cap. And mid-caps actually tend to be a little bit more advanced in terms of their management structures. They tend to be larger companies. They tend to be niche And they also tend to be focused purely on the U.S. So in many ways, you get kind of better management, better growth opportunities, and a a reasonable valuation because they aren't typically in most asset allocation plans. So when you're talking about mid-caps, you're talking about those companies that are capitalized between about two and ten billion dollars. You think about things like the rising U.S. dollar, they they tend not to sell as much internationally, so that rising U.S. dollar doesn't affect them as much. So that's one of the reasons you'd want to have some exposure to mid-caps. That is Ask Annex, one of our previous segments uh, this weekend, some of our uh, biggest segments from this uh, year so far. Up next, financial planning for government employees. If you are a government employee, and that just counts about everybody. That's police, fire, that's municipal, that's teachers. Good stuff, because we got somebody on the team who actually is a government employee, knows his stuff. Also on the way, estate planning. We're going to talk about annuities. We're going to talk about spending and retirement. You can start this weekend. That's right. Get something done. Go to AnnexWealth.com and click that Get Started button. It is 1021. This is Money Talk. Annex Wealth Management, WTMJ. Team, tech, 
trust and a fee-only fiduciary model that works in your best interest. Can your advisor say that? This is Money Talk on WTMJ. Welcome back to Money Talk. We're featuring some of our favorite segments on this weekend's show. We often talk about team being one of the key experiences at Annex Wealth Management. If you're a government employee, police, firefighter, municipal, or educator, we've got someone on our staff that speaks your language with Jason Ganier. Besides being a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management, you got a lot of years in another career. Yeah, 25 years in law enforcement and transitioning to my career here at Annex and been an advisor here six years now and a CFP for almost as long. You're just not busy enough, is that it? Yeah, that's what my spouse says. During your work in law enforcement, you were involved in matters of finance and investing. That's kind of what led you this way, right? Yeah, I worked for a labor union representing um, police unions for a long time while still working at the police department. And obviously those things uh, lend themselves to questions on financial planning, pension systems, deferred comp. And it just kind of was a natural progression. I enjoyed it. And I found that there was a, a vacuum there that needed to be filled for government workers that weren't getting good advice from outside advisors. Good. So listen up, folks, if you're in that line of work. Government employees traditionally have good benefits. Does that mean that they don't need financial planning? Almost just the opposite. One thing is government employees tend to retire earlier than their counterparts in the private sector. Pensions at some point, mid-50s, early 60s, kick in and lends itself to retirement. So you got to plan for you know a longer retirement. And even though a pension replaces a percentage of your income, it doesn't replace all of it. So you have to have a plan of how you're going to replace that income in retirement. So the 401k equivalent for government employees is that 457. B, is that right? What's the difference? It's a fancy IRS code. They use, you know, 401k, they use 403b for our friends in the nonprofit and, and teaching sectors. And then 457 is for government employees. And there are some differences between the 401k and the 457. What do government employees really need to know about pensions that they might not fully understand? I guess there's a lot of moving parts in a pension. First off is with the state pension, which is the largest pension in you know, in Wisconsin, there's a county pension, a city pension, but it's first off, am I in the variable or the core? And those are different investment choices. And then how long do I want to stay in the variable or the core? Or do I want to switch at some point in my career? You can only get in or out once. So it's not like you can jump back and forth with your 401k change in your asset allocation. The other thing is when you retire, you know, you have a survivor benefit potentially if you're married. Do you want to take a 100%? or 75% or there's different options. So there's quite a few moving pieces when you get to retirement with pensions. It can be complicated. You need some help. Correct. And a lot of times, I, one of the mistakes I see is that people wait till they're ready to retire to sit down with an advisor. So they're like, well, I'm going to retire in two years. You know, I'll meet with an advisor then. It's kind of like, you know, having a personal trainer or a doctor. You don't want to wait till you're 53 to, you know, sit down with a personal trainer if you want to get in shape. You want to do that early on in life so you can have good choices and have good habits. You and I have had a lot of off-air conversations because, as you know, I've got a young son who's a cop, and I like to get as much information out of you as possible. So there's the emergency fund, there's school loans, there's growing family. doesn't leave much room for a truck and boat. So is discipline hard for a 26-year-old police officer? Yeah, it can be, but I think getting those uh, financial plan down early. Matter of fact, just this morning, I sat down with a, a new young officer just starting on the job and just wanted some general advice. Had not even really started saving yet, but just advice on, you know, student loans. Should I pay these down first? Should I start saving in the Roth option of my 457? Should I do a Roth IRA? I want to get a home. Should I be saving in a a savings account for the home. So you got to kind of get all those different buckets you want to fill and have a strategy on how to do it. And then it's obviously as life goes on, those buckets get bigger and life gets more complex. For sure, it pays to sit down with an advisor. Kudos to her for coming in. 
Yes. That's pretty smart. So is going hard after like overtime, is, is that the solution? It would seem that that's pretty lucrative. Yeah, that sometimes that is a solution. It's nice for you want to have a vacation or you have some maybe some short-term expense you have. Overtime works nice for that. But if you do it throughout your career and you get your lifestyle dependent upon that overtime, eventually when you retire, it can be a little bit of a seismic shift to not have that overtime because your pension, again, isn't going to replace all of your income. So you speak this language of law enforcement, of government uh, workers. What are the steps you like to follow with clients who work in those fields? Everyone's plan's unique. And in law enforcement, firefighting, teachers, we tend to rely upon each other because there's a level of trust there, a strong level of trust. So a lot of times someone will be sitting down in the squad room or the firehouse or the teacher's lounge saying, hey, what are you doing? Well, I'm going to take the accelerated pension. Well, that might be a good fit for that person and their financial plan, but it doesn't fit everyone's financial plan. Everyone has different situations. Some people have kids, some do not. Some have kids in college. You know, some have a spouse that has a good paying job. Others have a spouse that maybe stays at home. So every situation is different and taking general advice can be somewhat dangerous to your financial plan. Jason Gennier, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Number one, thank you for your service. Number two, thank you for your time. Thank you for your time, Danny. This is Dave Spano from Annex Wealth Management, where we ask you to know the difference. The Wall Street Journal has published a list of questions to ask your financial advisor. The very first one is, are you a fiduciary and are you willing to put that in writing? We've been asking people listening to our show to do that for years. That's just one of the ways to know the difference between financial advisors. People come to us every day with what I call a mishmash. Statements here and there, overlapping investments, no consolidation. Annex Wealth Management can clean that up and put it in order. Our team of investment, tax, and estate planners will work to make sure your plan is clear and coordinated. If this makes sense to you, or if you want a second opinion on your investments and retirement planning, go to AnnexWealth.com. You can learn more there, or simply hit the Get Started button and start the process. AnnexWealth.com. Know the difference. I'm Dave Spano from Annex Wealth Management. I hope we see you soon. Also proud to announce that uh, Annex Wealth Management has been named to the 2019 edition of the Financial Times 300 Top Registered Investment Advisors. That is our fourth time. That is uh, something. Again, AnnexWealth.com is the website. Location-wise, we are in Elm Grove. Mequon, Lake Country, Appleton. We're downtown inside the Fister. And if you're driving through and uh, you're listening to WTMJ and you're wondering, hey, can they deal with me? Yes, we can. we got something called Annex Everywhere. Planning and investment insight from a fee-only fiduciary. And we put that in writing. You're listening to Money Talk on WTMJ. We're back. This is Mark Oswald from Annex Wealth Management. Today we've got a special Money Talk. We're revisiting some segments from this year and featuring members of our talented team. We're very proud to offer a terrific estate planning department headed by Jill Martin. Back in March, she sat down with Danny for a chat. Let's talk about some of the common things that people might encounter. First would be like inheriting IRAs or qualified plan funds. Let's, let's talk about those IRAs first. What do we need to know about inherited IRAs? So when you inherit an IRA, you've got a couple of options depending on whether the original account owner was already taking required minimum distributions or not. Um, but generally, there's going to be a couple of options for non-spouses. You can take a lump sum of your share of that IRA. 
Not great from a tax standpoint, but it's feasible. You could potentially spread it out over a five-year period, but again, you're going to recognize tax on all of those distributions. Or the option that we like for a lot of clients at Annex that works is, is to do something called a beneficiary or inherited IRA, where you can stretch out the income tax over your life expectancy. As a matter of fact, I've got one of those. As you know, I lost my dad about six months ago, and and so I wound up with one. And through the excellent guidance of you and your department and Mandy, that's what we're doing. So okay, that makes sense. Absolutely. And there are a lot of different options. So it's it's important that when you become a beneficiary and, and someone passes away that you talk to a good advisor who can walk you through all of the consequences, both the pros and the cons of what happens there. And I did. Okay, let's talk about qualified plan funds. And I guess that, that's what 401ks, profit-sharing plans, different than IRAs, right? A little bit, because if, if someone passed away while they were still employed and still had a 401k, the options might be a little different depending on what that 401k plan provides. So it's important to make sure that you're looking at what the details are and talking to an advisor about what your options are, because you may not have those same options within that qualified plan that you would with an IRA. A little bit more rare, but you see it. You do. If it's out there, we've seen it, right? Absolutely. And the other thing that that you have to be careful about is those options that we talked about, the lump sum, the five-year, or the inherited option, you have to be really careful because that's for people who are named as direct beneficiaries. It gets really, really tricky if all of a sudden we have a trust or an estate that's named as a beneficiary. There is some really customized planning that can be done in that, but don't just default to have your IRA payable to your trust because you think that's what should be done. Boy, I thought my eyes glazed over when I talked to Mandy. (laughs) Here we are talking to Jill Martin. Things you need to know about estate planning. Jill Martin is our estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management. Okay, let's go up in a level of complexity probably. Formula trust. They sound complicated and scary. What what is that? Okay, so we'll try and make this as simple as we can and not, not have your eyes glaze over this time, Danny. Formula clauses in an estate plan were originally designed as a way to help utilize each spouse's estate tax exemption when they passed away to try and minimize or eliminate estate taxes, okay? So if your estate plan talks about creating a family trust or a credit shelter trust and even a marital trust when the first spouse passes away, you may have something called a formula clause or a funding formula in your estate plan. That was very prevalent back when our estate tax exemptions were 600,000, even a million, back in the early 2000s and and before. What's happened, though, is now that our estate tax exemption is $11.4 million, those formulas don't function as well as they used to. And so what happens is if you have that type of an estate plan, it's really critical to go talk to an estate planning attorney to review it and probably update and amend your estate plan to either eliminate that or to make it clear in light of the new exemption level. Jill Martin is our estate planning attorney. I've got to guess you work with our tax team a lot on this stuff. Yep. Talk to Mandy quite a bit. How does state-level estate taxes figure in for estate planning? So Wisconsin, we are lucky enough that there is no state-level estate tax or an inheritance tax. The last year that we had an estate tax in Wisconsin was 2007. But what happens is, is we have a lot of clients that have properties in other states. And so you need to be aware there are still 12 states and the District of Columbia 
that have state level estate taxes. So what happens is, and amazingly, Minnesota and Illinois, two of our border states, are two of them. So what happens is, is while the federal exemption is 11.4 million, so you'd only pay estate taxes on assets above and beyond that, states have much different levels. So if it's something where you own property in Minnesota that maybe you have real estate on a lake that's worth maybe $3 million, you may end up having to pay state estate taxes in Minnesota because you're above the state exemption level. So what happens is, is when we've got property in multiple states, we need to make sure we're aware of what are the state estate levels in all of those states where you own property. All I got from that is I'm not buying a lake house in Minnesota. (laughs) Well, yeah, because what happens is is states tax things based upon where it's located. So even if you're a Wisconsin resident, if you own property in Minnesota, Minnesota is going to attach to that and there could be tax due on that. Same thing if you own property in Illinois or any of the other states where there's an estate tax at this point. And it's Jill Martin. She heads up our estate planning team at Annex Wealth Management. How can we help? Let us know. AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Team Tech. Trust. Money Talk is straight talk from a local fee-only fiduciary. It's time to know the difference. This is Money Talk on WTMJ. It's Saturday, July 6th. Today's Money Talk is a collection of our top segments so far in 2019. At Annex Wealth Management, we're asked about annuities a lot, and we've got a team with a ton of knowledge that is ready to help. Danny and I were joined by Ron Johnson from our planning team in January during our annuity week. Mark, I'm going to start with you. I read that annuity sales actually climbed back to a near-record high last year. Now, why was that? You know, that's kind of interesting, and you kind of go back to storytelling, and we do a lot of that on the show is is talking about what we see in the industry and why it's happening. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, you're talking about just equity index annuities, fixed equity index annuity sales last year, $14.5 billion here in the United States. So this is meaningful money. And you start to think about, well, why is that happening? Well, think back to the conversation we've had about the Dodd-Frank Act in 2010 and the adoption of the fiduciary rule. What happens is in 2016, when we have the full implementation of the fiduciary rule, this best interest contract thinking comes into play. And the insurance companies are scrambling because they're left with this concept of an annuity contract inside of an IRA. And they start to believe that they're not going to have the opportunity to sell these annuities into IRAs any longer. That's a problem because you can't say I'm acting in your best interest and then sell a proprietary annuity contract in an IRA. So you start to see sales in 2016 go down, 2017 go down. Well, what happens in April 2018? In April 2018, the Fifth Circuit basically puts a bullet in the fiduciary rules. What happens is annuity sales start to spike again. And that's what we saw in 2018 is an acceleration of the sale of annuities in this country. Ron Johnson, earlier in the show, we talked to Randy and Eric from the planning team about the unbiased annuity reviews that we're offering at Annex. So once we've reviewed them, where does an annuity fit within a well-structured retirement plan? It's important to take a step back and, and understand really the basic principle or the purpose of an annuity. It's not an investment. It's an insurance contract, and it's insurance for living too long. So with that said, at Annex, we don't see them as very efficient for accumulating assets or dollars into retirement. However, once you get to retirement, it can be an important part of your retirement plan by providing an income for the rest of your life. Now, there's some factors to consider. 
And I think that's where you really need a professional to take a look at it, right? Because you have to understand the offer from the insurance company. And is that a competitive offer, given the amount of money you're going to give them? And we can do the math for you. And, you know, guys, sometimes we get accused of being annuity bashers, you know, on this on the show. And we're not. We, we do think that annuities are good products in the right situation. What we tend to object to is the idea that all of your money goes into an annuity contract. And as Ron said, it's an expensive way to accumulate dollars while you're working. But if you want to get mailbox money, you want to get money on the 15th of every month, and you want to be guaranteed to have that income for the rest of your life, an annuity is appropriate for some people in some of their portfolios. Ron, have you seen cases where somebody's had their their entire retirement in an annuity? Yeah, yeah, we have. You know, sometimes it can make sense, but we haven't really seen often that that's a good idea. What you need to look at is spending patterns over time. And really what you want an annuity to be there for is to cover your basic. You want income sources to cover things like food and shelter and health care. That's income that's not at risk. But you want part of your portfolio to also be able to grow throughout retirement. And that's when Mark says it needs to be a part of your portfolio, but not all of it. And Mark, we're not bashers because I've heard you say you actually put an annuity to work for a family member. Well, we did. You know, my mother's down in Florida and she gets an annuity payment every month and it's appropriate for her. She's risk adverse. She's in her 80s. And for her to get a check every month gives her a lot of peace of mind. So as we keep communicating, you know, just informing people, and that's what we're trying to do is educate people. We're not here to say it's a good product. It's a bad product. We do it as a part of our review. When we're looking at it, we're looking at cost. We're looking at the guarantees that are in there and how does it fit into a financial plan. For a lot of people, an annuity can work. In my family, it did work. We put a small amount of money away from my mom. She's guaranteed to get a paycheck every month, and that's a good thing. And, Ron, our goal really is to have everything in a client's portfolio have a specific purpose. You really, one way to look at retirement is to look at your spending and break it apart to two pieces. That non-discretionary piece really should be covered by income sources. The discretionary piece, we want to put a little risk to it and get some growth over time. Mark Oswald, that is one of the differences at Annex Wealth Management. When you look at the offering that we're putting forth, which is the annuity review, a lot of people that are going to take that into a financial advisor, they're going to get it sold in another annuity. There's this 1035 exchange, which is a rule which allows you to take one annuity and put it into another annuity. In a lot of cases, what happens is the salesperson has a bias, the bias of being able to sell you a new contract with a new surrender period and a new commission. What we're doing as a fiduciary is saying, we don't have a dog in this fight. Just give us your annuity statement. We'll tell you what you have and we'll tell you what your options are. We don't sell annuities for commissions. And because of that, that bias is eliminated. A lot of annuity contracts are incredibly complex. And I think it really does take a professional who doesn't have an interest in whether or not that product sold to guide you through it and let you know if it makes sense for you. Annuities, uh, we take a look at them, we scrutinize them in the uh, portfolio analysis, and that is an absolutely complimentary thing that we do. You can start today at AnnexWealth.com. Just click that Get Started button. This is Money Talk for Saturday, July 6th. It is 1049 at WTMJ. W277-CV and WTMJ Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ. A Barron's top advisor, a member of the Financial Times Top 300, and a Journal Sentinel Top Workplace. Know the difference. This is Money Talk on WTMJ. Saturday, July 6th, and I'm Mark Oswald. This is a special Money Talk featuring some of our most popular segments of 2019. At the core, Annex Wealth Management is about retirement planning. Here, Danny sat down with Deanne Phillips and Randy Winkler from our team to talk about a crucial part of planning. 
We're going to talk about getting the number right when it comes to spending in retirement. What's the right way to determine that number and how can overspending and underspending be prevented? Deanne, when does that number usually emerge in the process for our clients? When people first come in, no matter where they are relative to retirement, they kind of want to see if they're on track. So if it's really before retirement, we have to do some assumptions based on what they're currently spending. But really, it's the closer they get to retirement. So it's within that spitting distance, you know, when they've got that date in mind. So it could be two years out, one year out, or it could just be pending. What we'd like to do is take that number that they're currently spending back into that number and then separate it out between the expenditures that they have to have, their living expenses, and what they think they want to do extra in retirement. If you understand that your have-tos are met, you're okay. Randy, you're our self-proclaimed spreadsheet geek. Does the number jump out at you? Well, we very often see somebody who comes in for the first time that we haven't worked with, they really have no idea what they're spending, but they think they do. Very common, we'll see where somebody's take-home pay is uh, at, for a family is, say, 250000 and they think they're spending fifty. So we say, are you saving two hundred? No, no, it's all gone. So we have to work with them to determine what that number is, because it's probably the most important number of the entire financial plan. It's kind of the fuel. If you don't have enough fuel to get where you want to go, you're going to run out of gas. Deanne, have you seen the number being a surprise for most? Oh, definitely. It is a surprise. You know, sometimes for some people, that B word budgeting is kind of a dirty word. And we get people that say, I have never thought about a budget in my life. Remember, when we go into retirement, we're doing a seismic psychological change from putting money away from ourselves to tapping into that money and spending it. And that can be daunting for some people. So people tend to have a couple of different reactions. And Randy, what I see sometimes is people getting scared to tap into that at all. You know, they think, no, I, I, I can't spend any of that. And so they find themselves really scrimping and saving and really not enjoying the beginning of their retirement or the reverse. They feel like, woohoo, I've got this cash flow now. And it surprises them how much they end up spending during that honeymoon period of retirement. We see both all the time. The first one, it's like when you're a really good saver, the muscle for spending atrophies. You can't do it. We right. have some clients that we have to say, spend some money. You know, you know, there's a saying, you'll never see a U-Haul getting pulled behind a hearse. You're not going to win the prize for dying with the most assets. Now, if you have legacy goals, we work with that. But for a lot of people, it's like, hey, you can spend money. You've dedicated your whole life to this process. You've built up a nice nest egg. Let's enjoy it. So, Randy, with our plans, do we usually recommend a yearly or a monthly spend number? Oh, that's a great question, Danny. We like to see yearly because it smooths out some of the bumps. You know, a lot of people are shocked that when December rolls around and they have Christmas expenses because it's a different expense than you have during the rest of the year. You know, you got your vacation in summer, you might have insurance premiums that come up. So it's good to take a look at a monthly basis, but you want to annualize that to uh, take into account the things that only happen once a year. Deanne, we talked about people tending to spend a little bit past reasonable expectations. How often do you see that? At the beginning, during that what we call honeymoon period, right at the beginning of retirement, we see it a lot. People underassume their spending for eating, drinking, and being merry. You know, all of a sudden, you're not working anymore, and you have time to spend with, if you're part of a couple, your significant other, or with friends, with family. And we tend to do that through dining out, going out, entertaining, and that costs money. So people often will come back and say, wow, I had no idea I was spending that much on entertainment. Now, that is 
discretionary expenditure. So that's kind of a muscle you can flex and, and you know, pull back on a little bit, too. When you're doing the go-go part of retirement, though, mm-hmm. I mean, people tend to, they want to go-go, and sometimes they cost money. Well, they do, and that's okay. So, Danny, right, what you're referring to are the go-go years, the first kind of decade almost really in retirement, and then the slow-go years, right, that transition as we age, and then the no-go years. But really, in terms of spending, we don't lighten up on the spending as we age, because if we think about it, healthcare expenditures could be a little bit more during that time period. Randy, you started to touch on it, but is it possible to underspend in retirement? Oh, definitely. Definitely. A lot of people have been saving their whole lives and they don't know how to spend and they don't know what's a safe number. So for someone who's just looking at the portfolio, you've got a million dollars, you have $10 million. How much of that can you spend? It's kind of an unknown unless you have a financial plan. With a financial plan and with all of the other tools we have, we can say, okay, you can spend X amount of dollars per year, and it's going to be sustainable long term. And then we can take a look at that. Which side of it are they on? If we say, hey, seventy-five thousand is a sustainable spending number for you, and you're spending a hundred, you're probably looking at a pay cut. If you're spending fifty, you just got to raise. No, I remember sitting with people saying, Mrs. Smith, you're a millionaire. You know, it's it just can't sink into some people because in certain generations, there's this fear of being a burden. You know. There's this fear of running out of money. And so that is larger sometimes and looms larger than getting our arms around the little spends, which is why it's an important exercise to look at a spreadsheet, to kind of sit down with a planner, to separate out those expenditures, make sure that your have-to bucket is filled so that you know your day-to-day expenditures in retirement are taken care of no matter what the market does. They're not tied to the stock market going crazy, right? And so then you can carve out those extra discretionary expenditures. And we as planners can encourage a little bit more spending. A lot of people, when they're in their working years, they know exactly what's coming in. They've got their paycheck and that's what they're spending. When you get to retirement, they're taking money out of their portfolio. It's not as easy to say, hey, I get X amount of dollars. You're making a decision on what you take and it's affected by taxes. When you start Social Security, do you have to pay for Medicare? There's a whole bunch of other things that factor in there, but we can come to you and tell you this is the number that works for you. It's very challenging to do, but with the tools we have, we do that every day. You do that every day, and we can do it for you. You can start today at AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Get that portfolio analysis and put Annex Wealth to work. This has been Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, WTMJ. Advice and opinions expressed during Money Talk are solely that of the hosts or guests of Annex Wealth Management and not WTMJ Radio or Good Karma Brands Milwaukee, LLC.